Hello and welcome back to the Backmarkers podcast, episode number three. It's car launch season and as I just said, we've had four car launches so far in F1. These being McLaren, AlphaTauri, Alfa Romeo and the Red Bull. And some liveries have been top-notch, but other liveries have just stayed the same which is a bit of a shame if you think about it, but what can you do? Also in this podcast, I go into a little deep dive on each car, explaining what they've done and how this affects their overall performance. In the case of McLaren and Red Bull, as I think they'll challenge more, so I've gone into a bit more detail with those two rather than Alpha and the Alpha Tauri. But I've also... Talk, also going to be talking about the aerodynamic changes briefly and what this means for the cars going forward and the Ferrari team reshuffle that has just gone on recently in the past couple of days. So without further ado, let's get into episode number three of the Backmarkers podcast. So let's get into episode number three of the Backmarkers podcast. And the first topic I thought I would speak about this week is the various car launches that we've had over the past two weeks, those being of McLaren, Alfa Romeo, Alfa Tauri, and Red Bull, with some big livery changes. Not really, but still. And some very minor livery changes. I'm looking at you, Red Bull, but... Who can argue that Red Bull livery is quite nice, just as it is. But moving back to the point being that we are going to start with McLaren's new car, the MCLM35M. I said that wrong. The MCL35M, which looks near identical to the last season's car. And... It pretty much is, except for the cheeky little rainbow that's on side. But I still think that the papyrus blue goes well together to make a solid livery for 2021. Now, with the regulations being as tight as they are, there's been not many changes. But the most significant change from last season to this season is obviously that Mercedes power unit that has come in instead come instead, come into the car, meaning that McLaren have had to change the chassis, the gearbox, the fuel, hydraulic, electrical, and cooling systems in the car just to accommodate this engine. Now, on the surface, the bodywork and the shape are all dictated by this new engine installation, but we all know that the shape of the car doesn't really make that much difference from last season as it's not changed very much. The big changes, however, other than the engine, will be the new aerodynamic regulations this year. And in McLaren's case, it's meant that they've had to narrow the floor ahead of the rear tyre by 10 centimetres. They've had to shorten the winglets on the lower half of the rear brake duct by four centimeters 
and they've clipped the diffuser fences by five centimeters. And according to their website, these are just a safety measure brought in by these new aerodynamic regulations. But even though the distances that they're being cut by are minuscule in terms of overall distance, it makes quite a bit of difference and it's cutting downforce of the car by a region of 10%. Now, a lot of teams have been trying to claw back lost downforce over the years and as a result, if you take the downforce away even further, it does set off the balancing of the car, meaning that to get the optimum downforce, you need to take off some of the balance at the front, you need to rebalance it even, that's a better way of saying it. You need to rebalance it to ensure that the downforce that you currently have isn't changed as much as you might think. Now, a reduction of downforce on the cars isn't necessarily a good thing, seeing as downforce dictates how fast your car corners and increases the grip on your tyres. It makes your car slower on the straights, but as I just said, it makes you speedier in the corners. And to find that right right balance between cornering and straight line speed is one that all F1 teams need to go through. So it remains to be seen how these aerodynamic changes will impact the car as a whole. Along with that new engine change and the new aerodynamic regulations, there is not much else to report on the McLaren side of things. I think this will be the case with most of the cars, simply because of the stringent regulations that the teams are abiding by for next season to save cash, essentially. And yeah... One other, one other point that I wanted to touch on quickly before moving on to AlphaTauri's car launch is the McLaren reveal. Now, I watched the reveal live and seeing Daniel Ricciardo try his utmost hardest on the tambourine was a truly meme-worthy moment and people who know me personally will know that I am a big lover of the memes. But it remains to question... Yes, McLaren are embracing themselves as the meme team with, you've got two big personalities, you've got Lando and Daniel, but some of it did feel a tiny bit forced. And I know that's going to be the case in the beginning because Daniel's only just joined McLaren. But if they carry on the forced funnies, as I'm going to call it, all year, it's going to get really old quite quickly. And you've seen it in other sports where you put two big personalities together and then you force them to have banter with each other. But forced banter is never as good as real banter, if that makes sense. So we can only hope that they're not forced to do funnies all the time, that it can just come naturally, and then we can get the prime meme content that we all want in F1. So now we move on to the Alpha Tauri, which was the second of the car reveals that has happened over the past couple of weeks. For those of you that didn't know, if you're in the 10% that didn't know like me, I had no idea that Alpha Tauri was actually Red Bull's clothing brand. No idea. Personally prefer Toro Rosso, but what can you do? Eh? Money does indeed talk in this business. But... Back to the car, at least, they've used 
There are two tokens that are given to all F1 teams this season to redesign the nose and redesign the outboard front suspension according to their technical director, Jody Eggington. And they've still used the same parts that Red Bull Technologies have supplied them, meaning that not much internally on the car is going to change. Now, externally, these aerodynamic changes are affecting all F1 cars, meaning that the changes that I've just described in the McLaren segment are also going to be happening on this car, which means a reduction of downforce and, unfortunately for everybody, a reduction of speed. Again, as I just said, not much to report on the AlphaTauri, except for the livery design. Now, the livery design I do really, really like. I've been quoted in the past as saying that I didn't mind last year's AlphaTauri, but upon second inspection, when you put the cars side by side, I much, much prefer the new AlphaTauri to last year's one. I think looking back on it now, the first AlphaTauri livery was very white, to an extreme so, meaning the whole front nose was white, but now the nose is now navy blue, which is my favourite colour, if you wanted to know that. But the navy blue, combined with the pinstripe and the Honda logo, the red Honda logo really does add a nice little piece to this car. I think it makes for a solid livery. I'd give it probably about a 7 out of 10 on the livery scale, maybe even a 6.5. Not really sure. It's good, but it's not up there. There's a car reveal that's also happened this week that's given an absolutely gorgeous livery that I will go into. But yeah, on the Alpha Tower front, there is not really much else to report other than Yuki Tsunoda coming in, which I've talked about in previous podcasts, and how him and Gasly can be an effective partnership together. But I still think that AlphaTauri will finish towards the bottom of the midfield in the constructors' battles, despite what Franz Toast wants, which is them to be competitors in the middle of the midfield, tussling it up with the likes of Alpine, Aston Martin, McLaren, Ferrari. But yeah, if they can sort their reliability issues out, then they might just do that. But personally, I think they'll stay towards the bottom end of the constructors title. We now move on to the next car reveal that came out of these past two weeks and that was the Alfa Romeo's C41. Now with all the grandioso of the reveal as we saw in the live stream, I didn't watch all of it but I caught just the end of it when they revealed the car. The car itself deserves that grandiose of an entry simply because out of the four current liveries that are on the grid this one is by far the best yes they have just done an uno reverse with the colors of the red and the white but it has made such a big difference in my opinion i liked last year's livery like the avataris it was okay but this simple color switch has done it in the world of good and i think depending on what the other teams can pull out of the bag, that this is going to be the best livery on the grid. I think the four-leaves clover on the side really, really does top off that Alfa Romeo, like, 
when you think of Alfa Romeo cars, you think of them like elegant and nice looking. And I think what I'm trying to say is I think that four leaf clover really tops off the nice lookingness, gorgeousness even of this new Alfa Romeo C41. Now, I do still think, unfortunately, it'll be at the back of the grid because it's an Alfa Romeo, but at the same time, it deserves to be at the front of the grid with that livery alone. But obviously, F1 doesn't work like that, does it? And looking into it, the changes from last season are again quite minimal. More teams are moving towards a narrower nose on the front of the car and Alfa Romeo has followed suit with a narrowing of their nose. And I've previously said on a podcast that is rumoured that Ferrari will be having a complete overhaul of their engine for next season. And the article that I'm reading at the moment says that the Alfa Romeo will power... No, the Alfa Romeo won't power. The Ferrari will provide their new... 066 power unit for 2021 to Alfa Romeo and to Haas. Now, where this engine places in terms of the engine rankings, I could do a podcast on engine rankings, but I highly doubt anyone would listen to that. It remains to be seen, as Ferrari's engine last year was just bad. Out of all of the engine constructors on the grid, you've got Honda, Mercedes and Renault. Out of all of them, it was definitely by far the worst. And I think that showed in the drive, the drivers, well, the driver standings and the constructors title with Ferrari finishing sixth, Alfa Romeo finishing eighth and Haas finishing ninth. Now, you can kind of say Alfa Romeo and Haas are a bit of outliers because they're near the bottom of the grid. But the Ferrari performance, I think that really shocked everybody but with this new power unit in the alpha will it be pegged up the field to a alpha tauri rank or maybe even an alpine rank now personally i don't think so i think they're going to still languish around the bottom and i predicted them finishing eighth in my constructors championship predictions in the first episode of this podcast simply because nothing's really not, not much is changing from last season except for the aerodynamic regs as I've already said but yeah I've got I've got hope for Alfa Romeo this season whereas they've retained Raikkonen and Giovinazzi I've got hope for them maybe they'll improve but I highly doubt they're gonna decrease even further with the likes of Haas and Williams at the bottom of the table but yeah with further reading it looks like that they've used their two token spend on this new brand new wider wider thinner nose on the car but i'm not really an expert about technical details so i won't really go into that i've gone into previous ones that information was a bit more accessible but yeah now we move on to the final car reveal of this season so far still got six more to go and that is red bull now with the red bull car the livery, you can expect, didn't change in the slightest towards something new. Come on, Red Bull's design team. I know that the livery is solid, it's nice, it's a modern classic, but at the same time, can you just add something else on there somehow? That would be 
that'd be nice, you know. Anyway, the only real change on the livery was the back end where it's essentially changed from Aston Martin to Honda. Now, with Max and Sergio at the wheel of that car, I do think it's going to challenge even further that Mercedes in the front. And they might even win a lot more races than they did last year. So the Red Bull is the RB16B. And they've made some subtle but potentially significant changes, particularly to the side pods as they bid to recover downforce and overhaul Mercedes from the top spot. Will they though? I highly, highly doubt it. Now looking at the technical differences between both cars, as I just said, I'm not really a technical expert, but I could go into it a little bit. The nose on the new RB16B has been slightly slimmed down just to try and help with the tricky low-speed handling of last year's cars. You've seen the Albon spinning a couple of times, Max's DNFs, even though they weren't directly his fault, the car was quite difficult to handle in those low-speed scenarios of hard-breaking zones. Now, with the new RB16B, the real question is, can it challenge the new W12 that Mercedes will put out and personally if the changes from last season aren't that significant but Red Bull have subtly managed to gain quite a bit from the two tokens that they've used on what appears to be the nose and the side pods maybe just maybe we'll get a more hotly contested championship this year now I've said before that I think that Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton will be P1 and P2. Hamilton being P1, Max being P2. And Sergio will be P4 behind Bottas and P3. But it, at the end of the day, it really depends on the reliability of the car. Because the four of them are fantastic drivers. Absolutely amazing. But it does re rely on the reliability, ironically of that Red Bull car and whether Max can keep himself out of some DNF scenarios if they can do that they can definitely challenge you could you saw it at Abu Dhabi last year where even though Abu Dhabi is a shit Grand Prix let's just put that out there no surprises even though it's a rubbish Grand Prix to watch they absolutely walked away with a victory Red Bull and Max showed that he can on his day, on the car's day, when it's not being, when it's not breaking down, it can really, really challenge with that Mercedes and, and beat it convincingly. But again, will it? Will that last performance of the season translate to this season and then throughout the season, or will it just be a flash in the pan and we'll get more Mercedes dominance over the next? few months when the season starts up again i'll go into a more in-depth look into these cars after testing is finished but because then we'll have a good idea of what what the state of play is who's looking good who's looking bad saw from last season's testing when ferrari were down there 
And everyone's like, oh, it's just testing, it'll be fine. But then that really did translate to the rest of the season. But again, who knows in the future? And our final topic for this week's episode of the Backmarkers podcast is just a little roundup of some F1 news stories that I thought would be quite interesting to cover. So the first one of these is the Ferrari reshuffle that has happened in ahead of this season. And anyone who knows me knows that I like Ferrari. Ferrari are my team at the moment simply because of Charles Leclerc and wherever Charles Leclerc goes, my favourite team will follow simply because he is my favourite driver on the grid. Now, Ferrari, as everyone knows, had a very, very, very disappointing season last season. And it's actually their worst season in F1 since 1980. This was back when Gilles Villeneuve was driving for Ferrari and they finished a grand total 10th in the Constructors' Championship. Now, 10th back in 1980 and 6th in 2020, 30 year gap, but you can argue that the damage done is just as bad simply because with Ferrari, you expect that classic red car to be challenging for drivers' titles constructors titles and last season for whatever reason that may have been whether it was the little deal with the FIA to do with the fuel injection but they just weren't up to performing unless your name's Charles Leclerc when you got more out of that car than actually needed now a funny fact is that Ferrari as a team have not won a constructors title since 2008 was the last time that they won a Constructors' Championships. And the last time they had a driver win the actual championship was 2007. That's Kimi Raikkonen. And that was 14 years ago. Now, if you equate Ferrari to a football team, say Manchester United, and if you went 14 years without winning Premier League title, which at the moment is probably on the cards because Manchester United are a bit crap at the moment. I should know. I'm a Man United fan. But something is fundamentally wrong with your team if you haven't won for 14 years. Now, you can argue that the individualism of Lewis and Vettel is what stopped them. But at the same time, if you're Ferrari... You must be looking at that Mercedes car nowadays and that Red Bull car back in the day. And you must be thinking, how on earth can I challenge that? How can I get better to surpass that Mercedes, surpass that Red Bull? And you can argue that Alonso did his best in that Ferrari and pushed Seb very close for multiple, multiple seasons. But at the same time, you just have to think, what are they doing wrong Because you always associate Ferrari with championships. They've got the record for most Constructors' Championships won with 16. And you always associate that red Marlboro-sponsored car with Michael Schumacher just absolutely blitzing everyone and winning. Now Mercedes have done that, and Mercedes have overtaken them. So it's on them to get back up to that standard. So as a result, they brought in science to get rid of Vettel, because Vettel was obviously 
didn't get on with that last car and they had no intention of renewing his contract, which is quite sad. But at the end of the day, Seb was on his way out with Charles essentially taking a lead role in the team. And there are now four people reporting to Bonotto as team principal in terms of development. And their names are Enrico Cardile on the chassis side, Enrico Gualtieri for the power unit, Laurent McKees for racing, and Jean-Maria Fulgenzi for the supply chain. And I am fully aware that I have just butchered those Italian names, and I am sorry for that. But it remains to be seen whether these changes will help. But just to give you a little background on each of these people, now Cardile is an Italian aerodynamicist who has worked for Ferrari for 16 years and he was only brought over to the F1 side in 2016 working as the head of aero development where prior he was with Ferrari on GT projects. Now he's moved over to the chassis side of the Italian car. Maybe he can take some of his aerodynamic expertise and alter that chassis to make it better into the coming season. Now, moving on to Enrico Gualtieri, he is now the head of the power unit area of Ferrari, so you can imagine that he is overseeing the new 066 engine, execute order 66. Anyway, <laughs> uh, he has been with Ferrari ever since he left university, actually working with Ferrari on his thesis, and was taken on as a simulation specialist when he graduated in the year 2000. Now, in 2010, this man, Gualtieri, was appointed head of engine reliability, and this was the start of the hybrid power era, so you can imagine that he's got quite a lot of expertise in the power unit area, where up until 2014, he, well, he did that role up until 2014, and then from then, he became part of the engine design and development role until 2017, where he then became head of the power unit project man of power unit project management. So, born and bred by the looks of it, Ferrari, born and bred, and with his enhanced expertise in the power unit area. You can only imagine that that power unit might be something else coming into the new season. Now, Laurent McKees is a interesting character, seeing as he's been around the block when it turns when it comes to F1, and he got his first taste of F1 with Arrows in two thousand and one, and he later joined Minardi. Obviously, Minardi turned into Toro Rosso, and he was their chief engineer responsible for all trackside operations. So he was part of Toro Rosso for eight years and left to join the F left to join the FIA in 2014 as their safety director. In fact, charge of in fact in charge of all of their safety and medical matters across all of the championships rather than just having a focus on F1. So after being safety director, the FIA thought, you know what, we're going to actually promote him to deputy race director, as well as being the safety director, working alongside Charlie Whitting, of all people. So, but then from the end of 2018, 
He then went out of the governing bodies and came back into F1, where he's joined Ferrari as their sporting director, which he remains to to this day. Now, he also undertook the role of head of track and performance, as well as the current role of sporting director that he holds. And in this reshuffle, he's being made in, in charge of racing as well. So three responsibilities across, across a big F1 team like Ferrari can only amount to a lot of work. And the last person is Jean-Maria Fulgenzi, who is their new head of the supply, of the Ferrari supply chain. Obviously, it's an important role with um, procurement and sourcing and all sorts of things. But on looking into it, I couldn't actually find much on them. So I think that's why I'll leave this story here. Now, moving on to a more feel-good story of the week, past two weeks, is that Roman Grosjean is actually getting a seat for an IndyCar test series, which is good because we all like a bit of, we all love a bit of Roman Grosjean, especially after his death-defying blow-up at Barnet Bahrain. So glad that he got out of that car alive as I watched it back on Twitter and I was like, oh, he's dead. He's gone. But to escape with minor burns from that, amazing. He's still suffering from the minor burns, which kind of sucks considering it's been a while. But I've only got good things to say about Roman Grosjean being back in the car, being back on a racetrack again, as I can imagine it could be quite psychologically like not hurtful, but like it will affect you. PTSD of potentially crashing again and experiencing that again. But good to see Roman in another racing series. Now, some things to look forward to in the next couple of weeks that I will hopefully be looking at on the Backmarkers podcast is some more car reveals that are coming soon. We've got the AMR21 new Aston Martin car. And after recently seeing that Aston Martin have partnered with BWT, could we see Racing Green and Baby Pink on a car livery? Now, personally, for me, that's not a colour combination that goes very well, but my mind could be changed if it's implemented well enough. Now, I can personally see a big, fat, whited-out BWT logo on the side of the Aston Martin side of the Aston Martin but it'll be interesting to see what that car looks like but yeah in the next couple of weeks we've got some more car reveals to come on so as I've just said Aston Martin we've got the W12 from Mercedes we've got the new Ferrari the new Williams and the new Haas as well which will be interesting to see what the Haas launch is like, considering what a certain driver has been doing in his spare time a while ago. I am certain that if they do it on a live stream, their comment section will be completely filled with we say no to Mazepin, what is he doing in here, blah, 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 blah. But as we know, F1 is not a complete meritocracy and money does indeed talk. But yeah, with testing in a few weeks' time, It'll be interesting to see where all these cars are at come that test date of 
the weekend of March the 13th and March the 14th and obviously March the 12th as well which is in two weeks time and then after that two weeks later first race weekend so that should be very very good will conclude episode number three of the back markers podcast now with testing coming up i will be doing my best to get one of these out i'll probably wait until the couple of days before testing to release the next podcast as we would have had the other six car reveals hopefully by then so that should give me plenty of stuff to talk about and when testing finishes i will get a podcast out the week after covering all that's happened in the testing who's finished where what my opinion is on it and i'm going to get a special guest of my friend john he's going to come on the podcast and discuss his thoughts on the testing as well so that should be that should be quite good It'd be nice for everyone who's listening to hear a different voice other than mine and yeah so thank you very much for listening to episode number three of the back markers podcast if you would like to please share it with your friends share it with people who you who like f1 and if they want someone else to listen to uh yeah share it with your friends uh we're on i'm on personally all platforms whether it be spotify or google podcasts apple podcasts or anchor fm which is what i use to record these podcasts and yeah follow me on twitter at ellis spearman 22 and yeah, that's been episode number three of the Backmarkers podcast. Thank you very much for listening and I'll see you all next time.